0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Authors on a Podcast Talking Books. I'm your host, David Walters. I mean, I know it's been quite a while since I've recorded a brand new episode of this. I know everything recently has been all about the YouTube and virtual cons and so forth, but uh, it's always nice to kind of come back to, I guess you can call it my roots uh, in the podcast world. But today, I have the pleasure of chatting with author, editor, and blogger Sarah Torn, Sarah has been a compulsive reader her whole life, and at a young age, she found her reading niche in the fantastic genre of speculative fiction. She blames her active imagination for the hobbies that threaten to consume her life. She is an award-nominated author, a two-time Spiffbo semifinalist, a full-time editor, book reviewer, and semi-pro nature photographer, world traveler, three-time cancer survivor with HEVS, and mom to two kids. In her ideal world, she'd do nothing but drink lots of tea and read from a never-ending pile of books. Gosh, wouldn't we all? She has been running the speculative fic- fiction review blog Bookworm Blues for over 10 years and is the author of Sarah Fina's Lament, which is book one in The Bloodlands, and Of Honey and Wildfires, which is book one in The Songs of Seafake. Uh, Sarah has been a full-time book editor for three years now. Um, but without further ado, Sarah Chorn. How are you doing today, Sarah? Good. hanging in there yeah i mean i i guess i guess that's about the best way to do it uh with with all that's going on and you uh on your side of the country yeah
1: it's been great
0: yeah i mean I'm, 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 have you had you know ac all day today and power at least yeah yeah
1: today it's been okay we had a few power blips but we made it through and so far the air conditioner has been working Oh
0: my gosh. Thank God! Yeah, I you know we always complain in Alabama when 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 summer hits. But you know it's not quite that bad yet. But once we hit like July, you know the humidity gets to be you know 70, 80 percent. It's like ninety degrees outside, but you know it says it like feels like one hundred nine. I can't imagine yeah. just already feeling that with the temperature. And you were saying that y'all y'all got up to over a hundred today.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's one hundred and seven right now. Oh my God.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, can you just like feel that like coming into your home? Like, like it's
1: just, like yeah. seeping through the but walls. We've got all of the blinds, like we've got our, our windows pretty covered up right now. Um i think my garden, I don't know if it's gonna survive. But you know, we're we're doing what we can. I feel bad for the people who don't have the air conditioning because there's a lot of
0: them. Yeah, I uh gosh, I can't imagine that just uh, it's, uh... Breaks my heart uh, that it's insane, but I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that y'all are doing well and hopefully continue to do well. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll kind of get into the questions if you're ready. Um, I First off, just want to tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me, you know, about, about growing up, getting into reading, uh, and then maybe how you got into editing and got into writing. Uh, I mean, I know it's going to be probably a pretty long answer because you, you do wear a lot of hats, but I want. I want to know all of it. Okay. All
1: right. So uh, get comfortable. No. Um. I. Uh, I've always been a reader. I just never. I don't. Know, I don't know. I've always been a writer too. Like I tell people, I wrote my first book in kindergarten, and I'm not even exaggerating. I literally wrote a book in kindergarten, and it got and It got published and put into the Saint Fair and the whole thing. So. It's been, my mom told me the other day, I never known a time when you weren't writing, so it's just always been there. Um, reading kind of was a different story for me. I hated reading until I was about in third grade. And then my mom got me into reading because she would pay me money for each book I read because she hated the TV on. And I thought, this is awesome. And so that's how I started reading, um, was through bribery and it worked because i just started loving it uh, when i was in high school my two older brothers confronted me with the wheel of time and i think it was george r r martin series and they would come over to dinner and on Sundays. my brothers are 10 years old and 17 years older really. they did not live in the house they would come over on sundays and they'd bring these books they say, You have to rate me. And I would tell them, I am not a nerd. I will not read books for nerds. And I was just so adamantly against reading those books because of, of how it would make me look in school. But I was very high school. Um, and and uh, eventually, just to shut them up, I gave it a try. And it was amazing. I just fell in love. It was everything I never knew. I always wanted to read. So really, the whole trip I have taken into science fiction and fantasy is because of my brothers. So we can blame them for that. And then <laughs> it just kind of went from there. Um, when I was in college, I was in was my last semester, I saved all of my junk courses for the last semester because be doing stuff. So I finally had time to read again. And I started reading, read, I was like visiting books that i read in high school. So it was like Tad Williams and all this stuff. And I was just so excited about how amazing these books were, but nobody I knew talked about books or even crap. So I finally figured, why didn't I just start a website? And so I started Bookworm Blues. And it was called Bookworm Blues because I was a bookworm and I was sad that nobody talked to me about books. And so the whole, the whole website became a thing where I would go online and I would basically just talk to myself about the books I read that got me excited. And then um, it, it just evolved. I mean, I think now I've been running a website for 11 years. And uh, it was, I think, five years ago that I had an author contact me out of the blue. And he said, here's my manuscript for editing. And I said, I'm not an editor. And he goes, yes, you are here's my manuscript. I'll expect (laughs) it in a month. And that was pretty much how I started with editing. And then I I thought, well, okay, that's interesting. And he paid me and I thought this is the best thing ever. I get to read books. I get paid to read books and I get to watch the author take this and polish it, which is really cool. And he told other people about my editing and and it just kind of took off. It was, it was part time for about three years, and then I went full time. about two or three years ago. Um, I actually quit my day job, and now I I make more money editing than I did at my day job, which has been really really rewarding.
0: That's awesome.
1: That's pretty much it.
0: <laughs> wow, that is really cool. Yeah, I, you know, I when I first started really reading which which was only a, gosh i don't know six years ago like like i read like in elementary school like i read you know because i had to <laughs> you know yeah. we had like the the ar reading program and you know oh you gotta get so many points every week whatever from your little quizzes and then um you know of course i read harry potter because it was popular and then in high school i read a lot of dean Koontz. my dad uh he used to work for the power company and he, he did security so whenever they had uh, your big hurricanes like Katrina and Rita and so forth that hit the Gulf, he'd have to go on, on what, what he called storm duty. Um, and so he'd have to go do security for all the trucks and the compounds and so forth that they'd set up. And he would just like go to Walmart and just buy like the best sellers and take them with him, And so he got me hooked reading Dean Koontz. And so he'd just like bring them back with well, it. was like, Hey, these are great. Don't read these, you know, kind of thing. So that was kind of my high school. And in college, I did absolutely nothing with with, with books because I'm like I already get enough reading with coursework. Uh, yeah. And then uh, and then I got out and I was like, you know, I kind of want to I want to read something or I need I need some kind of hobby that I can do um, that you know maybe doesn't involve physical activity because so, some days I just don't really want to go out in 90 degree weather and run around. Uh, so I was like, well, books sound great. Well, I end up getting a copy of wool by Hugh Halley and friggin' loved it. Uh, which, you know, he was, you know, they, they always say he was, he was the springboard for, for indie, uh, fiction and self-published fiction and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. and then, uh, from there, I kind of started reading the, you know, if you enjoyed wool, you'll enjoy this and started, started reading a lot of self-published uh, authors. And that got me into like beta reading and, proofreading and stuff like that so like i was like on the cusp of like going the editing route but i was like you know i don't know if i'm i've quite got the chops to do that (laughs) because i've never written anything myself so i could say something sounds great and it's probably crap (laughs) (laughs) but that's but that's so crazy that you kind of just like fell into it without even like really in like wanting to (laughs) i I
1: have People, like, I teach a lot of editing classes for new authors locally. And, uh, and I always get asked by someone, how did you get into editing? I really want to get into it. And I just have no freaking answer for them. <laughs> one day, a guy literally sent me his book and said, here's some money. I'll talk to you in a month. And then it just sort of happened. And it was, like, the luckiest thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, But, you know, it, it's
0: literally me living my dream. I wake up every day and I do exactly what I love to do. And I've never felt luckier. So jealous. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in the next room and tell my wife, hey, I'm I'm, I'm going to quit my day job. and I'm just going to try to go into editing full time. And that way I can just read all day because that's all I want to do anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. she would be like, you know what? Go ahead. Go ahead and do that. You, you didn't you know already quit a job before and go full time into real estate. you know that, that didn't happen so um, but no I I don't know. I, I do you, as an editor, when you read other works that you know you don't I guess have your name on, do you, do you ever find that it's I don't know more difficult to enjoy stuff, especially like knowing, oh gosh, this could have been better had I looked at it or something? Or, you know, do you just, are you able to set aside like your, your editing brain and just do a reading brain?
1: Uh, you know, I kind of have to be in the mood to do that. Sometimes if I'm really feeling picky I know I can't read right now, cause mm-hmm. I'll just dissect everything. I <laughs> um, but I do also have a, a, a rule with my software. I will not ever edit nonfiction mm. and the reason is because I don't edit it, so that's the one genre I can go to when I really want to read something, and I know that I'm just in a, an editorial headspace, and I can't do science fiction and fantasy right now. I can go to historical nonfiction, and I can just go wild, and I will never ever ever read that with an editorial brain because that's my space. Yeah. And uh, so and I read it a lot because. All of my books are based on history, and so for me, and that's as much enjoyment as anything else. But my uh, website recently, I've decided to open my reviews up again. I've been regularly reviewing again, and I've done it with a focus for indie books. And I have a, a, a few stipulations. I want to focus 60% of my reviews on indie, and I want like 60 to 70% of the books I review have fewer than 100, 100 ratings on Amazon because I feel like my voice can be more effective towards those books. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so for me, it's been kind of interesting because I want to keep the content rolling on my website, but sometimes I just can't get myself out of the editorial headspace. So I've really had to exercise an off switch. And, and I've been working a lot better at it. My reviews, if you go know, through my website, you know, I will absolutely never mention editing on any review ever because I just feel like <laughs> that's not fair. Right. And, and so, you know, there's I'm just, I'm trying to learn how to have an off switch that I didn't have before.
0: Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. Like, you know, when I was doing the proofreading, it took a while for me because, you know, now being a blogger reading advanced reader copies and and you know beta reading for indies and so forth um you kind of have to turn that whole oh gosh gosh you know, there really needs to be a you know a colon here or there really needs to be a comma here or oh gosh that word no it needs to be something else you know it took me a long time when I was just doing beta reading because I was always looking for that stuff, and now yeah. I have to know this is going to get edited. This is going to get edited. This is going to get edited, <laughs>
1: and, yeah, and yet, exactly. yet it's
0: still hard sometimes. If it, especially, it's not even so much the word choices or punctuation. My stuff now is uh, is the way that it's formatted. Uh, like mm-hmm. I, I've gotten some some ebooks uh, that like you'll have like three or four just blank lines in between sentences. And that, that blows my stack every time, no matter what.
1: (laughs) No, it seems like the big publishers are the worst offenders with that too. Every time I get an article from NetGalley, I feel like the formatting is just
0: terrible. Yeah. Yeah. it's, It's like they, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried to convert from like a PDF to a Mobi file. Um, yeah. but it always like keeps the page number. So, you know, you get two, three, you know, skips in, and there's like the name of the author, the title of the book, the page number, and then it goes to the next line. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. how I feel like some of them are. I mean, it, it, you know, as, as hard as you try, you know, sometimes you're like, okay, I, do, I just don't know if I can do this. You're like, I'll, I'll wait for you know, the finished copy to come out and I'll get to it at that point or the audio book or whatever. And that's, that's kind of how I've done things is if like, okay, I think I can really enjoy this, but not in this format. And I know I can't get a, a different kind of format by the time the book is published, so I'll just wait.
1: Well, that's one reason why, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I stopped really taking art. But um, one of them was because I just felt so pressured to constantly be reading the next new thing that it stopped. It started feeling like a job that I wasn't getting paid for. And so when I opened my website website up for reviews, I said I'm not taking ARCs anymore. Sometimes I'll go on NetGalley and download some stuff. But for now, I've decided the best way for me to do it is to keep a Kindle Unlimited subscription Mm -hmm. and to just get the books off of Kindle Unlimited because that way the author is not only getting a review and getting consideration, which is what I really want them to have, but they're also getting paid-for-page reviews. Yeah. So it just seems to kind of help the whole ecosystem. My my current philosophy is I'm trying to give other authors what I would like someone to give to me. Yeah. And so hopefully, tell I don't know I don't know. What to tell them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think that's a that's a great idea, and I, and I hope a lot of other people do the same thing. I know, um, yeah, there's a lot of indies and self pubs that are on Kindle Unlimited that would definitely glean value from that um and, and we got a kindle unlimited account and we normally only use it for the summer those my wife she like has no headspace whatsoever to read during the school year because she's a first grade teacher uh yeah. and so she's like i don't even want to hear about books and she get, you know she gets like super flustered when she sees like more books like stacking up the office so i'm like i have time to read i'm sorry you know and uh <laughs> But like she'll, I mean, she's like a voracious reader when the summer hits. And so she'll just go book through book through book. So, so she does that in regard and she, and she'll do a lot of, um, a lot of any other's Granted, And she's more on like the, the romance side uh, of reading. So she, she does, reads a lot of, uh, you know, uh, romantic comedies and so forth. But, but yeah, I, I've never really done the Kindle Unlimited thing. Um, I've, I think I've done a couple of audio books through them, but, you know, I just I'm just like so like backlogged with big publishers that I try to sneak in some some you know indie and self pub every now and then. And of course, you know now we're doing Spiffbo, so there's there's thirty you know or forty opportunities there now, um, yeah. and even even more. I mean, I'm uh, I'm reading Ryan Cahill's of Blood and Fire. Uh, I'm I'm listening to and almost done with Dragon Mage by M L Spencer. Uh, I mean, there's. I mean, I feel like I've I've, <laughs> I've done more for other judges groups than I've done for my own. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's it's one of those things where like I was hoping that they'd be in my grouping and, the, and they weren't. But I was like, I've got time for this. I, I think I can. Uh, I think I can check these out. So and and you know that you know, self published works have just like they've come such a long way. I mean, you still there's still a lot of bad stuff out there, but there's like a lot of fantastic stuff that doesn't get picked up by traditional publishers or where authors just don't want to go that route and they just decide to do it themselves. Um, I mean, you know, and and a lot of them come from people you've edited. I mean, you've, you've got your, you know, Ben galley, Michael Fletcher, Rob Hayes, uh, M. L. Spencer that I've mentioned, Matt Larkin, Frank Dorian, Alec Hudson. I mean, the list goes on Uh, and they're all phenomenal writers. They get phenomenal cover artists to do, to do their book covers. And uh, and it's really become a, a big competition. I know uh, Zach Argyle did a you know a guest post on our on our blog a little while back. Uh, I think it was right after the last Spiffbo ended about how you know self pub and traditional are really kind of almost on the same level or getting there, uh, and it's kind of yeah. crazy to see. What do you think? You think it's getting there?
1: You know, I think. I have many layered thoughts about this. So, <laughs> so I, I do think that the nature of publishing is changing, and the longer that I'm involved in the industry, the more I kind of see a change. Uh, for for example, these days you see more and more indie books that were indie first, going traditional second, mm-hmm. and so you have a lot of. Like agents, who I uh, I actually talked to an agent today. In fact, talked to me about some stuff, and he said, you know, I go for Kindle the minute all the time, and I just pull books off of there. And if one looks interesting, I have no problem talking to the author. And and that's something like he was. I would have done that five years ago, but now it's just what you do. Yeah. And, and so the whole, uh, I think the. I think the whole, just that form of publishing is changing. Um, the internet kind of creates this open marketplace, and there's always going to be people who prefer one way or the other. Yeah. But it seems like these days it's less about quality of work and more about, am I a person who likes to be in control of every single aspect of my book? Or am I a person who wants someone else to deal with all that? So I can just write, all right? And, and so it just seems like it's changing. Um, COVID has really hit the publishing companies hard, and uh, and they're struggling. And I think they'll come through the other side. But I do think there's some growing pains going on right now. Um, there's a lot of other things happening in the publishing industry that is kind of creating some interesting conflicts almost. Um, but I, I think it's changing and I think the whole reason why people choose one way or the other has almost nothing to do with am I a good enough author and almost everything to do with, well, I either really enjoy control or I just really don't. Yeah, And that seems to be more the, the question these days than anything else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I've, I've had some chats with uh, some self-published authors and and I go, you know, I I feel like you really have to promote and you almost have to be, and and I was in real estate. So I know like how, how you could be, you know, really, really good at your job, but also very annoying with your job (laughs) because You're constantly like going, "Hey, I'm an author. Remember, I'm an author." And just like I was like, "I'm a real estate agent. I do real estate. I sell houses. I buy out, you know, whatever." And um, and I thought to go, and they just they hate that side of it, you know. They but they do really well. That's the thing about it is they they write good books. They can sell their books, but they really hate the aspect of having to self promote. And I'm like, well, I mean, one good thing about being a blogger is that we can help promote for it's free promotion and it's it's less on you and more on us kind of thing where we can do cover reveals we can do chapter excerpts we can do reviews um you know chats like we're doing now stuff like that you know it, it there's always other ways of doing things that are more fun than just like coming up with something and just posting it everywhere and constantly retweeting it
1: (laughs) yeah I tell new authors all the time there's more than one way up the mountain and it's really easy to fall into the trap of standing on the corner and saying look at me oh please god look at me but that doesn't actually get your book sold yeah people get sick of that so there's there's other ways to do it if you want to look at ads Advertising. Emma Spencer is a freaking witch. She is great. She's got it down to a science. She knows exactly how to do it without being the least bit annoying. So with all things in the advertising, look at her. But, you know, I tried to advertise and I felt just so completely uncomfortable
0: mm-hmm. that
1: I realized I have to find a different way up this hill. And that's when I looked at my whole experience in the industry. And I realized, you know, my background is reviewing. I am way more comfortable saying, look at this person's book than I ever will be saying, look at mine. And so that's why I started up my regular reviewing again because I just feel more comfortable trying to put out what I would like to get back like that. And, you know, since I've stopped shouting on the street corner, i hardly (laughs) never ever mentioned my book anymore, I think. But since I've stopped pounding the drum so hard, my monthly income has uh, has uh, been times by five. So for some reason, reviewing books has been the thing that has worked for me in a way that advertising and you know saying, "Oh, look at me, God, I'm special, look at me," <laughs> has never ever accomplished.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I can imagine, cause you know. I, I've always wondered, you know, what is it about, you know, I mean, will white, for example, you know, he was just on the freaking New York best time, you know, bestseller list. Um, And it's like, you know, I see people talk about his books all the time, but you know, in the very beginning, I'm like, well, you know, where, where did it start? Like, where did he kind of like find his groove kind of thing? And then you see authors like Dakota Kraut where, you know, he's, made a gazillion dollars selling his books. And the only time I've ever heard about it was like through, um, I think it was through uh, Tantor Audio. Uh, I, I, I'm on their uh, audio reviewer list. And I'm like, I, you just kind of wonder, you're like, wow, I feel like there's so many authors out there that I'm not even aware of that are just killing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and it, it's crazy, and then the authors that you see all the time aren't. <laughs> so there's there's something there. There's gorilla marketing somewhere, you know. Yeah,
1: I and mean, yeah. everyone has to find their own way to get it done. Mm-hmm. And and like I suggest finding the way that's least annoying. Yeah. That's,
0: why, that's my my <laughs> <to find> <laughs> you, you should put a little shirt. Find find a way that's least annoying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, my goodness um, well we can kind of start getting into uh, some more I guess I don't know not promotion type questions <laughs> <laughs> or promotion type questions we'll go with that um, so tell me a little bit about uh, your writing process um, you know when, when and when did you actually like start writing your first novel so I mean uh, I, I know your 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 big release, Was uh, Seraphina's Lament? That was your that was your debut, correct? Mm -hmm. And uh, so, like, when did you actually start, you know, writing seriously with that title? Uh, And then, you know, I guess I I guess it just avalanched into more.
1: Yeah, I I started writing Seraphina's Lament. I think it was twenty seventeen. It was either twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen. And I actually had an agent for a while, and the experience was horrible. Um, so the whole reason I ended up going indie, self-publishing that book, was because that experience was just so bad. Mm. Um, but I, I just felt like I could not trust the industry, and I'm still kind of gun shy. But um, it's, I'm getting better. Don't worry. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, it was 2016, 2017, and then I released the 2019, and there were a year of 2018 when all bad things happened. Um, when I decided to cut my ties with that agent, my intention was to trump the book and never look at it again. Um, but the story just would not let me go. And so I eventually decided, you know, I can do this. The story needs to be told. If it didn't need to be told, it wouldn't just keep eating me alive. Mm-hmm. So I pulled the book up and I ended up rewriting a good 90% of it. Bottom top, and then uh, I got it edited and I put it out it did quite well. And then after that, some other things happened, and I ended up taking another little detour into shine territory. So,
0: gosh huh? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm always curious because it, it's like you know, you, you get that one book out, and then it's like boom, 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 boom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, because you know, yeah, you've got, you got two series going now, and you got novella out.
1: <laughs> I kind of learned how I work. So Serafina's Lament was really my foray in publishing. I didn't know anything about how I would manage it. And then I kind of had a better idea with Honey and Wildfires*. Me and my editor worked really well together, and I realized that once I kind of get into the groove, the book just pops out of me. I wrote Glass Rapsky, I think, in two months. Wow. And it, Yeah, and then I was another, I think, I think Nathan had it for editing for maybe three weeks. And so I can work pretty fast once I find that spot that I need to hit where the book is just kind of dwelling. The hard part for me is finding that spot. I have like 10 full stars on a book before I ever hit the point where I get that Buzzy feeling. Okay, so I want to
0: know. Um, you said you read a lot growing up, and a lot of it was forced on you by your brothers. But we're but we're very appreciative of their influences now. Uh, but who, uh, I guess, who are some of your favorite authors growing up? And then who would you say are some of your biggest influences? Oh,
1: when I was pre- fantasy, um, my I read Laura Ingalls Wilder all the time. I was basically. From morning till sunset, I think I read her series like a million times, probably not that much, but, you know, it was close. So that was really my thing. Um, When I first got into fantasy, it was, I I got really into Carol Berg. Um, Robin Hobb came a little bit later. I loved how edgy George R. R. Martin was. I just thought that was so daring when I was 16. Um, and it was, you know, I, Robert Jordan, I was so obsessed with him. I was in Europe one summer and I ended up like special ordering a book in his series because I just could not not read it. So uh, those were really my big ones. Um, yeah, early on, I think.
0: I got you. Yeah, uh, you know it's it's always interesting because you know mo- most of the time, especially for fantasy authors, you know, Tolkien, and then maybe Jordan, and then you got you know your your ones for Grimdark. You know a lot of them say Gimmel, um, and then you know not many say Martin. You know, uh, granted, you know Martin I guess came a little bit later, so maybe some of your newer authors that you know have the. Uh, you know, the blurbs that are like Game of Thrones meets et cetera, which is pretty much every fantasy book now. Uh, yeah. Uh, or, or you know, if you, it's science fiction, The Expanse meets. Yeah. You know, I feel. <laughs> I, feel yeah. I feel like like you know we really need some new books that like don't really fit that mold, which the, you know clearly there's several out there, but uh, you know that that's for the that's for the people that don't normally read that are like. I really enjoyed Game of Thrones. I could probably read those books, and they finish them. They go. I wonder what's next. And they're like, "What is meets Game of Thrones?" and,
1: <laughs> and Amazon, yeah.
0: and then a bunch of books spew out. Yeah, uh, interesting. You know, I, and you know, you go in your uh, your Facebook, uh, you know, fantasy groups and so forth, and you know, Jordan's mentioned all the time, and you know, now you've got you know, Erickson mentioned all the time for Malazin or sorry, Malazin, uh, I, I it's, it's pronounced like 20 million different times. So I'm pretty sure Erickson <laughs> told me it was Malazin when we had our, when we had our chat. Um, uh, and then of course, you know, Tolkien and and so forth, but, or Abercrombie, that, that would, his name actually finally gets mm-hmm. thrown around a little bit, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, would you say that those, that those you know, authors that you read a lot growing up, what would be your main influences or is there one like, Like, main, you're like, okay, I really wish I could write like X.
1: You know, not really. Honestly, I don't write anything like any of their stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Carol Berg was the first author who really showed me how powerful emotions can be in a story. And that I remember just being really hooked on how much she made me. And that's always been super important to me. And when I really started seriously writing, it was actually Mark Lawrence who made me realize, I've always had this thing where the book isn't just about the story to me, the the book is a painting. And I want to admire not just the picture I'm looking at, which is the story, but I want to be able to look at how the paint is used. And so I really, really, really focus on not just the story, but the way the author tells it, which means the language is seriously important to me. And I've always been a sucker for very lyrical writing. Mm. That's just the author telling me the story and letting me look at all of the paint. And, and uh, Mark Lawrence was really the first author who made me sit back and think, you know, you can take a dark story and tell it beautifully, mm-hmm. and that's okay. So he was hugely influential that way. And then more recently, I discovered Madeline Miller, who mm. is just, I mean, I everything. I could take a bath in her books. They're so gorgeous. <laughs> and they're, so she, she's really the author out of all of them, who has made me think you know the way i want to tell a story is fine because that's how she tells a story and she's fine so if she can do that i can do it too damn it so that's <laughs> she's she's amazing she's just amazing and then um margaret atwood is another one i i'm listening to her, her audiobook and i'll do a a roll to her audiobooks once a year. It's a thing I do every summer I listen to The Handmaid's Tale. And I listen to it really, really slowly. And the reason why is because Margaret Atwood has learned how to take a word and use it like a hammer. And it's just an incredible this woman's art. She it's just amazing. So I I really study a lot of her stuff. I read a lot of her poetry. I a lot of that so for me a lot of the more formative authors in for from my books are are recent
0: discoveries fairly recently I oh, gosh yeah i i agree about mark lawrence's writing um you know i i got really into grimdark after reading michael fletcher's beyond redemption and then that kind of led me into reading prince of thorns and then pretty much everything else mark lawrence's ever read um and yeah th- there's just Like you said, there's there's just a beauty to the way he writes. It's not even just all story and world building and everything, but like there's just sentences here and there that are just kind of. Yeah, it's it's like it's like icing on the cake, but then there's icing on top of that icing. (laughs) It's just it's just so good. You know, I you know whenever people are like, you know, who writes so beautifully? Like I always I always point to him, Anna Smith Smart. Uh, I mean, Ed McDonald uh, with his Raven's Mark series. Um, gosh, there's a ton of them. But like those are like the three that would just springboard to mind. Um, it's, yeah. it's just so like, – the language they use is just so beautiful. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, why can't everybody write like this?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially, you know, because they're writing such dark books, but you're just like, this This book is beautiful. And they're like, are you, are you sure? It's like really, it's really bloody and like there's a lot of the people die in it. Like, I know, but just like read it.
1: <laughs> yeah. That was one decision I made when I wrote Serafina's Lament. Uh, the book itself is based on something called The Holodomor, which happened in Ukraine in the 1930s, early 1930s. <laughs> Stalin basically starved Ukraine, and up to 10 million people died of starvation. And it was just horrible. And that's the influence for my book. There's zero happy in it. And so when I sat down to write it, I realized I have to balance this out somehow, or I'm going to have people sitting there. And oh, gosh. I don't,
0: I don't <laughs> want
1: that. That's not, not the end goal. The goal is not to make people that sad. So um, my decision was to really lean into the lyrical writing and hopefully the prettiness of the prose can balance out the darkness of the plot. And, and that was really, Mark Lawrence was really the one who got me looking at, at the style of writing as a balance for the subject matter. Man, ugh.
0: Thank you, Mark Lawrence. (laughs) (laughs) You beautiful human. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. That's so great to hear. Cause that, you know, I, I just, I think the world of his writing and just the fact that, you know, you were like, I want to start writing this, you know, beautiful lyrical style, uh, even with, you know, dark material. uh, It just sounds great. I'm, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go and binge all your stuff now. Thank you so much for that. (laughs) Um, so, Speaking of your writing, uh, I want you to talk a little bit about your series. So you, you kind of touched a little bit on Seraphina's Lament, but um, can you go a little deeper into the Bloodland series? I know, uh, you know Book 2, uh, An Elegy for Hope, is coming out soon. Uh, it's up for pre-order. So can you kind of give us a glimpse into that
1: series? Yeah, so it, it started – the series is actually named kind of in homage to the book that inspired it, which is called Bloodlands by Timothy Snyder. Um, it's a nonfiction book, and it talks about Eastern Europe during World War II. And he starts with the War and he goes all the way through World War II. And it's just this whole swath of Eastern Europe that nobody out here ever hears about. When we're in school, we hear about like France, and we hear about the bombings in London and all this stuff, but I mean, they just got, they were, the whole Ukraine and Poland and all those places were in the middle of two tyrants who were basically tearing the world apart. And it was just it, gripping to me. It was all the stuff I never heard of. And I felt like, you know, people need to know this. And so I used it, a lot of it, as inspiration for the series itself. Uh, Sarah event starts out with the whole of war. And it, I do it a bit differently because it's fantasy. So there's, you know, different reasons why it's happening and stuff. But the starvation is the same. And I have interludes throughout the book, which usually if someone puts the book down and does not finish it, it's because of the interludes. Mm. They're so horrible. But all of my interludes were put there based on eyewitness accounts that I read in nonfiction books. And you can kind of, if you read some of the Red Famine by Annie Applebaum, Bloodlands by Timothy Snyder, you'll probably see a lot of the inspirations for my interludes in there. And I did that because I felt like these people who died without telling their story deserved to have their story known. And uh, so that was that book. It's more personal. It's more of an emotional journey than an external one and then um, an elegy for hope is going to be more of the world war ii influences um there's some stuff i talked about i think on my patreon about uh, poland there's some aspects of what happened and some things in poland that i draw inspiration from um it's more seraphina's lament it's the birth of god and then an elegy for hope is when they wake up and they have to kind of figure out what they are now. So, and then the last book in that trilogy is going to be called A Requiem for Faith. And it's going to be kind of a, look at what we've done. Oh no. <laughs> 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 so, that's, uh, it's, it's based a lot on on Eastern Europe, the 1930s and the 1940s from a lot of different sources okay awesome
0: okay so your your second series uh the songs of sea fate so uh start off with of honey and wildfires my gosh i freaking love your titles uh (laughs) and then you've got book two glass rhapsody that's also up for pre-order um tell us a little bit about that series and i know you've also got a novella uh oh that shotgun Sky. that uh so wow i really jacked that one up oh that shotgun sky um that that takes place i think in between those two correct Yeah. Okay, so tell us a little bit about
1: that series. So The Songs of Fate is based in basically an alternative Utah. Um, I wanted to write a series that was based on things that I knew and had experience with, but I don't like being restricted to this world. So I kind of put it somewhere else and make my own thing. Um, It's based in like an alternative frontier pioneers coming and settling type thing the magic system is based on oil and it's not oil, it's called shine but it's uh, it's based on oil someone finds it and they discover that this can do all sorts of really cool stuff and so they basically put it's called the boundary but they basically put a dome over the shine territory is what it's called and they own everything there, so it's kind of a play on corporations. And um, out here, they had a lot of mining towns in the mining boom, and uh, the mining towns were a lot of times in the early 1800s completely owned by these companies, and there was no law. And so, if something happened, it it, it was either the company did justice for it, or you know who cares, go dig some coal, you asshole, you know what. <laughs> <laughs> just horrible conditions and just awful, awful places to live. And there are these party towns. Everyone was drunk all the time. And So I, the whole idea came from this thing. I read a thing about the first guy finding oil in Oklahoma and how it was used as medicine, which, I mean, people would drink it to, they thought it would cure them. Can you imagine? So they would drink oil and then they'd sell it to people and it was, they'd rub it on their skin and think of cure stuff. And it was this huge thing. And nowadays, everything is based on oil. And so I kind of just took the idea of a mining town and the idea of, of resource depletion and oil and how it's just like the thing that saves everyone they days. And I put it in an alternative Utah in the 1800s and put a dome over it and said, let's see how you assholes survive. <laughs> and that's what I did. Um, it's, a, it's really an intimate story. I have a very narrow uh, cast where Sarah also met, I think I have like seven point a few characters. Um, of Honey and Wildfire is a whole series. I think I only have three. Um, And it's a a tale of family, so you kind of get to know yourself as you get to know each other and um, very personal drama and it's very sad and then um, Of Honey and Wildfire Ends and then Oh That Shotgun Sky is kind of a bridge between the two books and it has different point of view characters, but In uh, Glass Rhapsody, there's an all-female-run outlaw town, and of hunting wildfires. It's the story about how that town came to be. And then in Glass Rhapsody, it's the conclusion of the story. So I break your heart in of hunting wildfires, and in Glass Rhapsody, I try to heal it, and it hurts a lot, but I I try. So that's (laughs) that's bad.
0: Awesome. Um, so last thing I want to talk to you about. Um, so I know you uh, you were a semifinalist uh, a couple times in Spiffbo, uh, and you also judged uh, a little bit in Spiffbo. So, you know, FanFiatic Attic now uh, is in our – we're in our first year of Spiffbo, so Spiffbo 7, uh, and we're super excited to be a part of it. Um, and I actually had some experience in Spiffbo a few years ago with BookNest, but just, to, I want to hear a little bit about your experience going through it. You know, as an author, and then maybe a little bit going through it as a judge. Uh, you know, I'm assuming it was a fairly positive experience. I mean, I don't hear many negative experiences this before. But um, you know, what was it like going through the through that process on, on both
1: ends? Um, as an as an author, it was a lot different. It was a lot more nerve wracking, and I've discovered. The only way I can really deal with the nerves is by pretending it doesn't exist. And so the whole whole way I dealt with the contest was I put my book in, and then I just kind of went, "What? what is that? I've never heard of it before. And, you know, I didn't even know last year until, like, a week after my book was reviewed that it had been reviewed because I just didn't. I'm so good at not paying attention. It's insane. So... (laughs) That's how I deal with it as an author, but that's how I deal with everything as an author. I don't look at my book reviews either. I have no idea how well received they are. I, my husband looks at my royalty statements. I don't look. I don't want to know. Don't tell me. So unless someone tags me in something, I just don't know, and that's how I've learned as an author that's the only way I can handle the nerves. Otherwise, I can fixate it. Um, as a judge, it was kind of, I mean, I was doing it alone. I didn't have a team. It was a lot yeah. for someone to do on their own and I have a, I have chronic health problems. And so it seemed like every year we'd get just about done with the first batch and I'd be like, Oh man, I have to go out of surgery or something. And, um, my last year judging, I ended up, I feel really bad for everyone who got assigned to me because they really shafted them. But about halfway through the first round of it, I went for my yearly are you still in remission checkup and my doctor found a lump. Mm-hmm. And so we. Uh, I ended up getting rushed in for emergency surgery and we were doing this like chemo conversation, but it was the whole thing. And I just realized I, I can't do this anymore i am an unreliable judge and nobody who gets me as a judge is getting a fair shake because my meat sack just Uh sucks so um that's why i ended up leaving it i just started i just it was just too much and i felt really bad for everybody basically i I just was not being fair to them
0: I gotcha. Yeah, see, I can't. I can't imagine doing it by myself. Um, You know, I thought about the past couple of years entering. You know, when I had a couple of people, but like we have (laughs) twelve judges on our team, and I'm like, I mean, I feel like it's maybe you know, it's it's probably too much. Um, But at the same time, I'm like, I feel like we can give every book in there a fair shake. Um, And I feel like
1: exhausting. Otherwise,
0: yeah. I mean, you. you know you get through you know say your first 10 or 15 you're like oh this isn't too bad you get to 20 25 and you're like oh i'm really feeling it then those last five just like almost become a chore uh and then yeah. you're like oh crap now i've got to read another nine
1: <laughs> yeah and it's, it's just, just like oh
0: yeah so yeah I, c- I couldn't imagine doing it by myself and gosh props to you for for doing it for a couple of years man like, you know Oh, this, yeah, this sounds it was daunting. A
1: lot of fun, and I was glad. I think I was recovering from surgery when like Mark contacted me. He's like, "I have this idea," and i was like, "What is it?" And I'm pretty sure I was on Percocet, and I think I remember I a shoulder surgery or something. And he contacted me, and I thought this was a really cool idea, but I don't know if anything will happen with it. And now I looked at it. So.
0: Yeah, now so, seven years later. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's been cool to see it from the inception, that very first message. Oh, I have no idea. Yeah. What it is now. It's been pretty interesting. It's a good, very good thing for indie authors, I
0: think. Yeah, and you know, and now you can watch from The Silence and be like, I edited that, I edited that. <laughs> yeah, I think
1: that's been cool too. I think I've got 10 or 12 books I've edited and entered in this year. In the past two years, books I've edited have made second place. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this year. I'm rooting for my authors, I know their they're quality. So,
0: yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we're, we're like I said, we're, we're really looking forward to getting through our batch. We've already got a couple of people that have gone through at least, if not half, at least, you know. 10 or so um and we've got you know clearly a few months to go but we've got we've got a few we're super excited about um so I, I'm interested to see how the other teams are doing as well I know I know some are, are doing uh you know reviews for a lot of their books and i'm pretty sure I, I know esme I don't know if she's just doing it by herself or she's got a couple of people on her team but she's just like blowing through them and I'm like oh gosh I have all these other commitments like I, I can't do all these reviews but um, but it's 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 a lot of fun it's it's really cool uh you know, seeing the past few years uh the finalists and so forth then doing you know the spiffbo panel for tbr con and stuff that was a lot of fun we'll probably do that again next january um so my last question i got for you uh what are some books you've read recently
1: that you'd recommend oh man um Let's see. What have I read recently? Um, Am I allowed to talk about books I've edited that people should read? Absolutely. I've got a bunch of books. So the first one I think everyone should read is Gifts of Pandora by Matt Larkin, especially if you like mythology because it's uh, a twist on Pandora's box and he does some magnificent things with the timeline that it just, the entire book just blew me away i mean it literally i remember i edited it and i emailed him and said i don't think i have ever read something that has impressed me as much um and that was really good ben galley's heavy lies the crown is amazing and it's the second book in the series so you need to read the first one but you really need to read the first one anyway because it's just really good and, um, it's more traditional fantasy. It's like a group of people go on a quest. And I haven't read something like that for quite a while. And so it really kind of took me back to my roots with fantasy and made me fall in love with the genre all over again. And uh, that was awesome. Horns um, of the Hunter by Frank Dorian is another twist on Celtic War. I reviewed that on my website recently. Uh, That book was amazing. It's brutal and it's bloody, but the cool thing about it is the journey the characters go on. I don't think I've read a book that had character, like personal character arcs that transformative. And I mean, a book's like 200 pages long. It's not long. Yeah. But you feel like by the time you've ended it, like, you've been reading something that's like the size of Dragon Mage. Because it's just, how did you do that? That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that one was really cool. And, you know, Windborn by Alex Bradshaw is great, Viking superheroes. And Alex has a, a knack for emotional punches. And I'm a very emotional writer. I love when an author makes me feel, and Alex made me feel. Um, and Dragon Mage, because I made Dragon Mage
0: so gosh it's uh, so good yeah. yeah that's really good
1: i'm so excited to read the second book i can't even tell you i know i'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit jealous <laughs> i love making people jealous
0: <laughs> i know it's like one of the perks of your job is like yeah. i i know a book you're not gonna read for nine months <laughs> yeah
1: yeah i i totally know i get to thumb my nose to all of you
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I feel good every now and then, you know, when I read a book, you know, four months before pub day or something. But, you know, as an editor, you know, I, I, I follow uh, Breit Hyde, who's one of the Orbit editors, uh, who does a lot of, you know, she's done Evan Winter and tons of other authors. And, you know, every time she's like, oh, my gosh, I just read this. and It's so great. You know, you don't see it for like a year or two.
1: <laughs> and yeah. you're like, really? Yeah. And the awesome thing on um, being on the editor side is I see – draft that I get and then I get to see the draft that you get so there's changes between that phase and the other phase and when I was when I first started editing I was so intimidated by these authors sending me their manuscripts and I was like what if I'm too mean and what if they hate me and all this stuff but it's the longer I've been doing this the more I've realized every author we're all terrified of each other we're all terrified of each other. We all have an inferiority complex, and it's just crazy to see how human we all are. Yeah. Just a bunch of humans that are very insecure, and we just want everyone to read our stuff. So wow. it's 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 been fun. I've enjoyed it quite a bit.
0: <laughs> well, awesome. Well, Sarah, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to, to come chat with me uh, about I mean everything: reviewing, writing, blogging, editing. I mean, gosh, everything. Smithbo, <laughs> I feel like I feel like we've covered all the all the great things about books. Um, and uh, it, it's just been it's been awesome getting to know you on social media, uh, and now, like I said, putting a putting a voice to the the social media presence. Um, and I've definitely loved a lot of books that you've edited, and now I'm going to go binge. All of your books that you have because I have all of them on my Kindle and the other ones pre-ordered. So everybody else should do the same. Um and uh and yeah so we'll continue to look for for uh for, for your books to come out. We'll continue to uh cheer you on as you edit some amazing self pub uh, stuff coming out even even some of your you know erotica that you do on the side. <laughs> it it's it's somebody's cup of tea I know. <laughs> Um and everybody that's listening, you can find Sarah on Twitter at Bookworm Blues. Uh you can also find her on our website, bookwormblues.net. Um and yeah, just um thanks again and we'll uh, we'll talk again soon. Awesome.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Have a great rest of your week. And hopefully your power stays on. Yeah.
1: Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully not <how> <laughs>